I will give you two big reasons to listen to this week's show. Simi and Steel. Sounds like a 80s buddy cop movie, doesn't it? <laughs> this time it's personal. <laughs> well, hopefully this episode is every bit as explosive as one of those old school uh, buddy cop movies. As we thank you for being here with us on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe Podcast Network. Wednesday, July 22nd, 2020. Hope it's been a good week for you so far. Hope you're doing Hope you're doing all the things you need to do to stay healthy. Make sure that all the people around you are staying healthy and that you're being an overall good human being. We're going to make the next few moments, I'm sure, quite nice for you. At least we're, we're aiming to anyway. And if you love college football, if you love Stanford football, you've come to the right place. Two special guests for you on this week's show. First, we're going to be joined by a young man who is certainly on the rise with the Stanford offense, Simi Fajoko, an academic junior, made some big strides. I mean, David Shaw had this guy pegged right from the start. Man, if we can get Simi Fajoko going, we can do some great things. We saw that more and more as last season went along. So what's on Simi's plate this upcoming season? And how was his offseason more interesting than normal? We'll talk to Simi coming up in just a few minutes. And after that, our second special guest on this week's show really needs no introduction if you're a college football fan, but I'll give it to you anyway. Phil Steele, the one and only, the author of Phil Steele's College Football Preview, which is the preeminent college football preview magazine. But he's working hard uh, throughout the season as well. What was it like putting together this year's book for him with him having to deal with with everything that was going on in the midst of college football's shutdown during the course of the spring? And how high is he on Stanford football this year and his chances of perhaps a big rebound season? You're going to like this chat. Phil Steele coming up later on in the show along with Stanford wide receiver Simi Fajoko. If you're new to the program, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. If you're not new to the program, welcome back. Either way, rate and review the show wherever you listen to this program from. We always appreciate that. Certainly appreciative of the uh, terrific reviews and ratings that this show has uh, received uh, to this point. Want to keep it going. Want to keep it building. Certainly appreciate you uh, taking up the uh, efforts in that respect. Follow me on Twitter at Troy Clarity. Last name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y at Troy Clarity. You got thoughts on the show? Hit me up, hashtag TreeCast on Twitter if you want to react and respond to anything you hear on the show. Let's get to it. And let's begin this program by doing what we normally do on the TreeCast, by giving you three things you need to know around Stanford athletics. Let's dive into it with number one. Well, college football preseason watch lists are starting to be revealed, and Stanford is pretty well represented. On several lists in particular, cornerback Paulson Adebo, perhaps the most decorated of all of Stanford's players, at least in the preseason anyway. The Bignaric Award for Defensive Player of the Year, the Thorpe Award for Top Defensive Back, and also the Bronco Nagurski Award for Defensive Player of the Year. Adebo is on all three of those watch lists. Michael Wilson on the Bolitnikoff Award watch list, hoping to become the first Stanford receiver to win that piece of hardware since Troy Walters did back in 1999. By the way, Troy Walters joined us on the TreeCast back in May. You want to go back into the vault, check out that chat. I highly recommend it. Offensive linemen Walker Little and Drew Dahlman are on the watch list for the Outland Trophy. And Tucker Fisk, tight end, is on the watch list for the John Mackey tight end. Uh, award, uh, John Mackey tight end of the year award, I should say, as well. Uh, Adebo, also a preseason All-American for Bill Steele, Athlon, and the Walter Camp Football Foundation. Walker Little, a preseason All-American too, according to Bill Steele and Walter Camp. Now, the hype has begun. Now, let's get on the field and see what Stanford can do. Hopefully, soon. Let's get to number two. Congratulations to Stanford men's volleyball's Stephen Moy, who was awarded an NCAA postgraduate scholarship 
That's a one-time grant of $10,000. Moit just graduated last month from Stanford with a 4.0 GPA in bioengineering. Certainly nothing to uh, sneeze at. A lot of late nights, I'm sure, and early mornings for that young man. Steven's taking a gap year to research cardiovascular surgery at Stanford Med School, and he hopes to go on to medical school after his uh, year of research is completed. Stanford men's volleyball, of course, one of 11 sports that are being cut from the varsity level after this upcoming uh, academic year for Stanford. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate and, and it's, it's terrible, and we've talked about it before, but certainly great news for Stephen Moy, and congratulations to him as well going forward. Let's wrap it up with number three. And this came out just after I posted last week's show, so I didn't get a chance to publicize it myself. But if you haven't seen this, if you haven't heard this, I highly suggest you take out the time to check out the roundtable Stanford athletes did uh, with the Pac-12 networks as uh, Stanford women's basketball's Jenna Brown and Maya Dodson, football's Thomas Booker, and a former women's soccer player Ryan Walker-Hartshorn uh, joined Ashley Adamson. They sat down and they discussed um, their perspectives on racial injustice, the Black Lives Matter movement, and just what it's like uh, being a black student athlete, a minority student athlete um, at Stanford University, and in some, you know, especially for, for, for Ryan Walker-Hartshorn, in a sport where, quite honestly, there aren't a lot of African Americans um, in that sport. So, uh, look, I, I've said this before, um, one of the things that amazes me and one of the things that I appreciate about covering Stanford athletes is that chances are pretty decent. I'm either going to be working for them or voting for them at some point um, in my life. Certainly the case with Thomas Booker, um, Ryan Walker, Hartshorn, Jenna Brown, Maya Dodson, also equally super impressive as well. So um, I, I highly suggest that you check out uh, check it out. It's also available uh, via the Pac-12 Perspective podcast. Some of it may be eye-opening to you. Some of it may just make you nod and go, yep, uh-huh. But either way, I, I highly suggest that you take some time and give it a listen. Those are three things. Well, let's get into the guest portion of the TreeCast. And let's start it off with one guy. And, and, and look, there are a lot of reasons why I am really looking forward to watching Stanford football's offense take the field this upcoming season. And one of those reasons joins us right now. An academic junior out of Sandy, Utah, preseason All-Pac-12 second team, according to Phil Steele, and he's on Bruce Feldman's freak list, too. What's that all about? Let's find out and chat with one of the rising stars of the Stanford offense, Simi Fahoko. Simi, thanks a bunch. Appreciate the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You bet. A pleasure to have you in here. Thanks. Uh, always great to catch up with you. Um, you. You're back on campus now, participating in individual workouts. Um, how has it been the last few weeks being back on campus and, and, and trying to get ready for the season under, obviously, uh, abnormal times here? Right, right. Like you just said, it's, it's abnormal. It's been, it's been definitely a little different than, um, you know, we originally have original summers, you know, basic with the team running you know we have team practices and all that like um but you know it's obviously been a lot different considering we can only work out in groups of you know 10 we just moved to groups of like 25 um you know and we're just lifting and running trying to condition ourselves because i mean with our groups and, and how everyone came in it's like we have a couple running backs a couple receivers we don't have all the quarterbacks we don't have quarterbacks in one group like it's a little weird so I mean, I'm, I'm in a different group than Davis and Mike and, and all them. So it's like I can't go throw with them. Um, so we have to stay to our specific group. So it's it's been weird. But um, obviously they're taking great uh, precautions and, and measures just so that we can, you know, eventually have a season. Um, and so it's, it's definitely been weird. But um, I think they're going about it in a great way. And I think that they're going to um, – if, if there is a possibility to have a season, I think we will uh, be, obviously have one. Yeah, uh, what's the process been like for you, for you guys, from a testing standpoint, uh, making sure that you guys are are steering well clear of COVID nineteen? What what's that part of the process been like? Right. So I mean, when we all came in, um, we got tested that like that day or like the day after. Um, they obviously moved us into a hotel. We've been in a hotel for the past three weeks, I want to say, 
Um, and basically we got tested the first day we came in and then we got tested five days later. Hopefully we got double negatives, most of the team did. And then we ended up just getting tested once a week um, and just staying strictly to our groups. We just barely moved to herds after two weeks, which is like 25. Um, and so hopefully in another week or two, we can go to groups of 50 or, or, or more. Well, and hopefully everybody stays healthy all throughout the course um, of this entire process. Uh, last time I was at least in your presence anyway, was I believe March 6th. Uh, football practice being held uh, then during the middle of spring ball. One of the last times I would imagine that the team was together uh, in, in full. And I remember, you know, David Shaw's message to the team, you know, that evening saying, hey, we don't know which direction things are going to take here. We, this could easily go sideways. Uh, we don't even know if we're all still going to be on campus a, a week from now. Be prepared for anything. Uh, what has life like been for you since that day? In, in early March yeah so that was the that was the last day I was actually uh, actually yeah pretty much the last day I was on campus the next day I, I caught a flight home and I and I came home and, and started hanging out with the family I actually I got married on March 21st yeah. so that was that was big um, so I was able to spend a lot of time at home which was which was good um, COVID shut down the honeymoon plans but it's all good and we just stayed in Utah um, had fun but a lot of the Actually, Utah was a lot faster on reopening and, and stuff like that. So I was able to have access to, you know, personal trainers, gyms, et cetera. So, I mean, it was a little better than some of the Cali guys. They all their stuff got shut down and everything. So it's been it was actually pretty good at, at home. I was living the life, hanging out, eating mom's cooking, wife's <laughs> cooking. You know, it was, it was pretty good. It was it was a, it was living the dream. And, you know, but obviously I was I was itching to come back and, and start playing football with all my guys. So. Um, I'm just, I'm just glad that we're back out here. Um, I enjoyed the time home and, and, and quarantine and all that, but you know, I'm ready to, ready to get to work. Yeah, we've seen some folks have to resort to some fairly unconventional training measures as they try to cope without having access to gym rooms, having access to weights and things like that. Uh, did, did you have to you do anything unusual to make sure that you were still uh, doing what you needed to do from a physical standpoint? Fortunately, I, I was, you know, blessed with, with some weights and gyms and, and stuff like that. So I, I didn't have to do that, you know, but I was looking at some of the other guys on the team. Houston Haymooley was, you know, carrying rocks from outside, putting them in bags, weighing them, you know, <laughs> trying to bench the bag. It's, it's, it's funny, but, um, you know, I was, I was definitely blessed. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of Rocky IV all of a sudden when Rocky's in <laughs> Russia training for Drago exactly. and lifting rocks and pulling horses up out of snowbanks and, and, and things like that. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, in the middle of all this, oh, by the way, you got married. Um, how, you were planning for the wedding in late March. That obviously went off. But, but what was it like having to deal with that on your plate as well? Yeah, obviously we, we wanted to have the wedding, you know, and, and I had a bunch of the guys on the team planning on coming out, you know, a lot of the guys in the, in the wedding line and um, being groomsmen and all that. But um, so obviously it was like the week of, it was sort of like everything started shutting down and I was like, dang, we probably, so we put out a, we put out a thing saying, you know what, just for, for everyone's safety and health, you know, we're, we're going to plan on still getting married, just us two, but we're going to postpone, you know, the reception, the party and, you know, the gatherings and all that. And so that was, it was, it was hard, you know, I mean, I wanted my guys to come out, all the, all the dudes on the team, see all them, you know, show them around Utah and all that. But I mean, it, it, it is what it is. And, you know, I think we, we tried to take the best precautions and um, we, I think we did what we did um, and it was, it was right for us. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it worked, it worked out in the end. So we're both married, we're happily married and it's, it's, it's good. Well, congratulations on that, and uh, best of luck uh, to the both of you uh, going forward on that in, in that endeavor. Um, you and I talked during the course of a couple of occasions um, last season um, after the Washington game, a couple of press conferences and, and, and things like that as well. And we talked about the little things, and it seemed like much of your season last year hinged on big plays and little things as well, little things that maybe went right, little things that maybe didn't quite go your way. Uh, with, with that as kind of maybe the focus, how would you assess how things went for you personally last year? You know, last year, like you're saying, we, we relied on some big, like big plays down the stretch and, you know, and it came down to some little things um, in the end, which usually decided the, the outcome. And for me, I felt like I was um, pretty solid in uh, terms of 
you know, the big plays and all that. Our coaches did a great job, you know, game planning on who we'd like to, you know, go against and, and you know, exploit matchups and all that. And I think um, it gave me an opportunity to, you know, showcase my talents, um, being big, tall, and, and a little bit fast. It helped me, uh, it helped me with, with all those matchups and all that. And I think the coach did a great job doing that. Um, so I think down the stretch, I feel like I, I had a, you know, a great, great season down the stretch. I think started a little slow, um, but I picked up near the end. Yeah, was there a light bulb moment along the way where it was like, okay, this is the moment where everything clicks and, and where everything started, everything started to come together uh, during, during last year? You know, I think it was after the Washington game. I we Our first day back, you know, on Monday or whatever it was, Coach Shaw came to me and said, hey, look, dude, you can do this every single game. Just It just depends on if you want to do it and it takes your confidence and, and your connection with Davis and you guys can do it. And so, I mean – after that, it sort of just clicked in my head, and, and it was, you know, it was all downhill from there. Yeah, you, you won freshman of, the year, freshman of the Week honors that week, even though academically you're a sophomore. <laughs> Amazing how that right. works. <laughs> now, you're six foot four, you're 220 pounds, you run a sub 4 440. David Shaw says that, look, uh, you're, you're, you're too big and you're, and you're too fast. And you made Bruce Feldman's freaks list. <laughs> What's it like being a freak? Oh, uh, you know, I just feel a little normal. Uh, no, I'm, I actually didn't. Uh, I didn't actually get to read that thing. I saw it on on Twitter, but it 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 was like all blocked off and stuff. But I, you know, it's it's obviously an honor to be you know even mentioned on a list with a bunch of guys like that. You know, um, you know, I don't consider myself a freak. <laughs> I just you know consider myself a ball player, and and you know I just love to do what I do. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's been cool. It's been cool. Yeah, Obviously, there's a bunch, of, a bunch of guys on the team that are, are freaks just as much as me. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's cool. Yeah. Uh, who was it? Uh, was it? Um, oh, shoot. Was it Austin Jones, I believe? Mike Wilson said that he had natural wiggle, I, I believe, last year. So, certainly that is that, – that, that's quite freakish. I think that would, that would certainly qualify. Um, <laughs> what excites you most about what this offense can do? I think with us being as young as we are and as experienced as we are, I think our, we're going to surprise a lot of people. I think the fact that, you know, you just mentioned Austin Jones being a freak, you know, Nate Pete, both these guys are young, you know, adding EJ Smith to the mix. And, you know, we have a vet, you know, Dorian Maddox. These guys are, you know, freaks in the run game. And then you look at our pass game, we have Davis Mills, who I could see him potentially winning the Heisman, given the fact, you know, we, we have a good year. Um, and then you have Mike Wilson, Bryce Tremaine, Connor Weddington, Osiris, you know, with, with Elijah on top of that. It's just our game, we're not limited. You know, last year I felt like we were a little limited in terms of, you know, we, we passed to open the run. This year I think we can run to open the pass. And, you know, we can, we can just spread it around. I think with all the playmakers we have and the experience that we have on the O-line, I think we're going to be really good. As long as everyone stays healthy, which, of course, was the big, the big issue last year. Certainly, the, the sky could very well be the limit um, for the Stanford offense uh, in the upcoming season. Um, you had an LDS mission to South Korea. Tanner McKee, quarterback from Southern California, just got back from his mission a couple, uh, couple months ago uh, down in Brazil. I'd imagine you two have had a chance to chat uh, since he returned to, to this side of the planet. Uh, what, what do you remember about your process and what you went through as you returned back from your mission and how, how different you were physically and, and maybe psychologically as well. Right. You know, a, a LDS mission is great. I, I would recommend it to all LDS um, players and things like that, I think. But in an athletic standpoint, I think, you know, it, it does set you back in the terms of, you know, physical aspect and, you know, mental aspect. Um, I think, when I got back, it was, it was rough, you know, instant, like going straight back into conditioning, running, um, lifting and all that. My body hasn't done that in two years, you know, it was, it was rough. And I, I don't know, it's probably similar for him. Um, but luckily for me, when it came to, you know, football, the football standpoint and stuff like that, I had, you know, JJ, Arcega Whiteside and, and Trent Irwin, you know, those guys really helped me along. They, they sort of, you know, took me through the process and their process and, you know, told me how, what they've learned since they've been there. So it was, it was good to have, you know, mentors like that. And I think Tanner has that in, in Davis as well. Davis could be a great mentor for him. And I think um, it's, it's going to be similar. It's going to take time, obviously. I think, um, you know, I've, I've, my first four or five games, I think 
BK was just telling me, hey, you're, you're not there yet, but but you're coming along. You're coming along. Keep sticking with these guys. You'll, you'll get there. And then, you know, near the end of the season when I started to play a little bit the last four games, it was, you know, I was still hadn't got there yet, but I was, you know, I was able to contribute in, in certain ways and, and aspects, and it was, it was good, um, I think. But definitely it takes time. Um, two years is a long time, and so, you know, to get back within a couple months, it's, it's, it's difficult, but, but it can be done. It can be done. It can be done. It's, it's amazing. I had uh, Mark Madsen, uh, the former Stanford men's basketball great, and now he's the head coach for Utah Valley uh, men's hoops. I had him on the show a couple months ago and asked him what, how long it took him to get back up to speed after his mission, and he said, look, it took me over a year just to get back into shape, and he, he, I think he was having flashbacks to some of his first workouts, and he kind of went off to a, a far-off space for a moment or so, so I can only imagine, uh, I can only imagine what, that is, what that is truly like here. I, I, I'd imagine that juggling all the unknowns that are out there right now with football, with your marriage. Oh, by the way, at Stanford, you do go to school as a student athlete. That is a real legit part of the equation as well. I, I would imagine that it's been a big time test of your mental strength throughout all this. Uh, what, what have you learned about yourself throughout this whole entire process and the whole, the last, uh, the last few months? You know, over the past few months, I learned one, one thing really in specific is that I'm, I'm not an online guy. I'm, not, I'm more of a go to class and, and, you know, <laughs> sit there and take notes. I'm, I'm not very good at, you know, figuring out on time, online, all that. It's just, it's, it's rough for me, but um, you know, over the past few months, obviously it's been mentally testing. It's, I mean, trying to figure out all that, all while being home and then, Oh, we, maybe we'll come out this week or maybe we'll come out this next week. It's, it's been weird. Um, definitely it's, it's been hard. Um, but you know, Stanford does a, a really good job. They have us, um, in touch with our, our psych doctors. They have us going through things like apps called med, uh, headspace. It's like meditation and all that stuff. It's, it's good. Um, I think it, it's really helped a lot of players on the team and, you know, and I think cause we're all going through the same thing. It helps too, that we're all connected. We're all brothers and, you know, we can talk about it with each other. Um, so it's been good. It's been, I think we've, we've gone about it in the right way. And I think, you know, mentally everybody's starting to work back now that we're, we're here. Um, and at the end of the day, we're just trying to take it day by day. It's just one day at a time. And hopefully um, crossing our fingers, we're going to have the season that we want and, you know, that's all we can ask for. Let's wrap it up here on, on this. What's at stake this season for you? What's at stake this season for the team? For the team, I think, you know, we, we have the talent and, you know, skill to win the Pac-12, you know, go to, you know, if we have a college football playoff, I don't know what that's going to look like, but I, I think we have the opportunity and talent and skill to, to really showcase that. I think we have the, the chance to do that. Uh, for me, I think, you know, Again, I'm just going to take it a day at a time. Um, I don't know what the future brings, um, but, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play my hardest regardless, try to, you know, have a little better season than last year. Well, looking forward to seeing how it all comes together, especially offensively. Man, I'm just, I'm just having visions of, uh, of all the things uh, that you guys might be able to do, and I'm sure you are too. I uh, had 24 catches for 566 yards and six touchdowns last year, setting some records for yards per catch. Made a lot of big plays, made some little plays as well last year, and hoping to put it all together in his academic junior year is Simi Fajoko. Simi, thanks a bunch. Appreciate the time. Stay healthy. Best of luck and best of health to you and your family and uh, to the rest of the guys right now. Hang in there. I hope we all get this thing going here pretty quickly, safely and responsibly, and can't wait to catch up with you again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate Simi uh, spending some time with us and uh, chatting with us and uh, getting us the latest on uh, what it's like going through all of this and uh, yeah, you know, I, I go back, I go back to that uh, touchdown catch that he had uh, against Colorado uh, in Boulder uh, in November last year. Third and sixteen, KJ Costello has a clean pocket, steps up, fires it over the middle, and hits Fajoko in stride. Fajoko in traffic. There were like three or four black shirts all around him, but Simi able to turn up field, turn on the Jets and just leave everyone in the dust. A 79-yard touchdown catch and run, just a jaw-dropping play from Simi Fajoko. 
I also remember in that Colorado game, um, a play at Colorado's end zone where Fajoko made a nifty grab, but was just out of bounds. Stanford, unfortunately, was not able to win that game. So it, it just goes just, just goes to further, you know, be an illustration of what Simi went through last year. And we talked about it, the fact that that last year for him basically boiled down to big plays, but at the same time, little things as well. Simi looking to put it all together in this uh, upcoming year. Looking forward to seeing what he and uh, the rest of the wide receivers can do with Davis Mills slinging the rock. Really enjoyed that chat with Simi Fajoko. Glad that he could join us. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation right here. Look, I mean, some folks are wondering when the college football season is going to begin in 2020. You could make the case that it's already started. Certainly when you get the Phil Steele College Football Preview in the mail, that is indication one that college football is here. He's one of the very best in the business, has been doing it for decades, and his preseason preview magazine, there are a lot of them out there, but only one is the undisputed champion. It's the Phil Steele College Football Preview, and Phil Steele himself, joins us here on the TreeCast. Phil, thanks a bunch. Appreciate the time, man. How are you doing today? You know, I am doing great, Troy, and I got to tell you, I enjoy always listening to, to your spring broadcasts and uh, didn't get to watch any this year. It was a little yeah. different this off season. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit this year. Obviously, no spring ball and the shutdown uh, that took effect in March that cost some teams their complete shot at spring ball. Others were able to get onto the field and at least accomplish some things. Uh, take me through you and your process and how your process of compiling information and putting the book together changed this year after everything shut down in mid-March. Yeah, I think the big thing that changed was when we put the magazine out. We generally send that last page to the press the uh, last week of May. And this year we didn't send it out till July the 8th. And the reason for that was, of course, the shutdown. Now, the good news is we, we work six months on the magazine generally. And we start on this thing the Sunday after Thanksgiving for teams whose season – was complete at that point, like Stanford this past year, for example. Uh, no bowl games, so we could start working on uh, what Stanford, you know, for the upcoming year. We do it in three write-throughs. The first write-through process, we go ahead and get, um, we go through the entire season, read back through it, and get it all fresh in our heads, and then write each of the positions. And uh, that that got done. Then all of a sudden, the second write-through process starts in March or uh, late February. And that's where you get the information from the schools. Now, the schools did send it out. We got the freshman signees. We were starting to work on that. And then the shutdown came. So I was in the office tooling by myself for a couple of months or a month and a half until the staff was allowed back. And then once the staff came back, they came back with a vengeance. We started calling the coaches, reaching out to them, going over the teams with them. Most of the coaches' calls take about an hour. I go over every player on the roster and get them all in the right spots. And so we've got the same information that we've always had every other year. Granted, there was no springs, but I'll tell you what, uh, I would bring that up to the coaches, and most of them were, hey, next man up. So it's, uh, we'll be ready to play in the fall. Don't, don't feel sorry for us because we didn't have spring. We'll be ready to play. And I think that's how the teams are addressing it. So once again, we took all the way till July the 8th, which made it a little bit different rather than send the magazine to the press uh, that last week of May. Yeah, let's go into that a little bit more, because obviously you miss spring ball. I miss spring ball as well. Well, what's your sense of what the coaches missed by not having spring ball? You know, I think the ones that miss out the most this year, Troy, are clearly the ones that are first-year head coaches, you know, like a Nick Rolovich at Washington State that didn't have the benefit of any spring. So I was talking to him about the quarterbacks. He's like, Bill, I haven't seen the kid throw. You know, so I can tell you what I know about the kid, but I personally have not gone out and seen the team, the kid throw. And, and that's something that, that uh, will set back, I think, some of the first-year head coaches without spring ball this year. But for most of the veteran coaches I talked to, Troy, they were like, you know what, we had our off-season conditioning. We knew what we had coming into spring. And basically who it hurt on those teams, the experienced teams, or maybe the redshirt freshman trying to beat out a junior at one position. He didn't have 15 spring practices to show himself off. 
you probably won't see as much movement that way. But the coaches themselves weren't overly beat up about missing out on spring because everybody else is in the same boat. And, you know, it's next man up. You lose your top two running backs in a game. Let's get the third one in there and still go out and try to win a game. Pac-12 made the announcement a couple weeks ago that they uh, plan on going to a conference-only schedule um, when the season rolls around. Uh, in your estimation, is there any particular Pac-12 team that that could potentially benefit more than the others? And maybe, if possible or, or if applicable, one Pac-12 team that that might hurt more than any of the others? I think maybe one that it might help the most is USC because mm-hmm. USC doesn't have to play Alabama and they don't have to play Notre Dame. So that lightens up their schedule significantly and maybe they stay healthier. Remember, they suffered quite a bit of injuries last year and they've got a pretty talented team. So I think not going out and perhaps losing to Alabama the first week of the season, uh, it helps USC. It softens up their, their non-conference uh, or softens up their overall schedule. Uh, I don't know if it it would help any or, or hurt anybody necessarily, because uh, and and like my forecasts in the magazine, they're all based on where I think teams will finish conference wise. So nothing's really changed in that respect for me. Yeah, and and certainly I'm sure USC would love from a competitive standpoint to have Alabama and Notre Dame still as options to play, but maybe from some other standpoints and perspectives, they're going. You know what? We're 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 cool going to going to conference only yeah. play here. Um, let's talk about Stanford. Get your thoughts on the Cardinal, and, and let's start with last year finishing four and eight. Injuries just wrecking the roster pretty mm. much from top to bottom. Um, how, how did Stanford's outcome last year mesh with what your expectations were coming in for? Stanford last season? Well, you know, coming in, Stanford was only number 118 on my experience chart. I thought they would still be a contender. I picked Oregon, of course, to win the uh, the Pac-12 North last year. I thought they had the best team, the most experienced. Stanford didn't match up experience-wise last year, only number 118. But I didn't expect 4-8. and eight. But, of course, I didn't expect the um, – <clears throat> Injuries that popped up either. Stanford had to use three different starting quarterbacks. What was there, three true freshmen starting on the offensive line at times? Uh, definitely injuries wreaked havoc on this team, as did a fairly tough schedule. You know, playing a team like uh, USC and then having to go on the road into Florida and play Central Florida and, and later play the tough teams that they did was pretty rough. But uh, I think this year's outlook for Stanford should be much better than last year's outlook. And they actually go from number 118 in my experience chart all the way up to number 62 this year. Yeah, that's certainly a big function of having all those freshmen and having all those young guys uh, seeing as much playing time um, as they did last year. I'll get your further thoughts on what you might think might might happen with this year's team here in just a moment or so. But I'm biased, I'll admit it, but, but I think that Stanford's rise from the dregs of the sport to two-time Rose Bowl winners over the past decade is one one of the great stories in college football so far this century. What do you make of, of what Stanford has been able to do and how successful it has been, particularly this decade? What sort of things stand out to you? Well, the first thing that stands out to me is Stanford's a great academic institution. So you can't just recruit every player that's out there. I mean, there's some high standards to get into Stanford, and that makes it tough recruiting. So what Stanford has done to get to the level that they've gotten to prior to last season, naturally, uh, was pretty remarkable. You don't generally see teams like that. I mean, you don't see a Northwestern or a Rice dot the uh, national landscape like Stanford did. And uh, I love the way Stanford ran the football. They were always one of the most dominant running teams and played defense. Now, it's got a little away from that the last two years. We'll see if they can't get back to it this season. But overall, just a tremendous job. I'm going to go back to remember when Jim Harbaugh took over Stanford and they upset USC as, what, a 30-something point underdog. I think that might have been the turning point for Stanford uh, taking uh, the rise that they did. Yeah, and there's no doubt about that. That was the tangible starting point for just about everything I think we've seen uh, with this program going forward. And, and I think you may have hinted at this a little bit, but, but to you, when you think of Stanford football, what sort of things pop into your head? Three tight ends, four tight ends, offensive <laughs> linemen playing tight end, running the football down a team's throat, and playing great defense. I mean, that's, that had been Stanford's M.O. prior to the last two years. 
Now, the last two years, they've gotten away from that a little bit. And it's not been – it's not like David Shaw said, you know what, I'm tired of running the football. Let's just go ahead and throw the football over the field. It's, it had to do with the personnel he had as well. So, you know, they didn't have quite the personnel to accomplish what he had done so well. And uh, I think that that's why Stanford got away from it a little bit the last couple of years. Yeah, hard, hard to go ogre and hard to go off extra offensive linemen when you don't have any extra offensive linemen yeah. literally <laughs> to throw out there. Um, this year's squad, I'm super excited to watch and see what happens offensively uh, with, with, with this team, with all the weapons that are around this squad. Davis Mills really coming into his own uh, weapons at receiver, uh, running back. I, I, there's lots like there. And offensive line, should if it stays healthy, a lot more experience, obviously, this year than last year, it seems. Uh, when you break down Stanford offensively, what are some of the strengths you see and what are some of the question marks you might still have? Well, the first big strength that I see this year that was indeed a weakness last year is the offensive line. As you touched on and and I mentioned before, they had to start a lot of freshmen on the O-line, and those guys are all back as sophomores. And this is a pretty talented offensive line. Drew Dahlman at center. Uh, one of the better centers in the country. You look at the tackle combination, Foster Sorrell and Walker Little, maybe one of the best tackle combinations in the country, and they're very, it's a veteran squad inside a guard where even a Barrett Miller could, could eventually lose his job to a redshirt freshman like Branson Bragg. So, I mean, that's a talented offensive line that I think will be improved and is deeper than last year and more experienced than last year. The receiving core led by Fajoko and Wilson and Weddington is dynamic. Davis Mills probably one of the more underrated uh, quarterbacks in the country. Coach Shaw feels he's going to be a first-round draft pick. He's got great accuracy. He can throw the ball in tight windows. He's a very strong arm, and he can just flip it 60 yards without effort. So all those are great pieces, and they have talent at running back. It's just unproven talent at running back, which I'd like to see emerge. And Austin Jones is a guy that was my number eight rated running back coming out of high school. Uh, he's got some big playability. E.J. Smith, the true freshman, uh, is got uh, a chance to step up there. He's my number 12 rated running back out of high school. And then Dorian Maddox was a guy that was leading the team in rushing last year when he got hurt. So having those three back, I think, is a big piece of the running. But that would be my biggest question on offense, is can we get one of those feature running backs to emerge so Stanford can get back to running the football down people's throats? Does the fact that Stanford is so potent at wide receiver maybe make up for some potential shortcomings that they might have at, at tight end that, that we haven't seen over the past decade plus or so? Because that's obviously been a super stock position for Stanford in, in recent history. Yeah, and and I think you will see more, uh, you know, uh, 13 personnel out there with the three wides as opposed to the two tight end, three tight end offense that's uh, been been there in the past. And you have to take advantage of your strengths. And that's one thing Coach Shaw does. He's very adaptable, and he is going to adapt to the team's strengths. And when you look at Weddington, Fajoko, and Wilson, that's a really nice combo to have. And then you toss in like a St. Brown there. If this guy stays healthy, he's a dynamic receiver as well. The true freshman John Humphreys can step in. Uh, and Elijah Higgins is another guy that's a, he's a bigger, faster a receiver, runs in the mid four or five. So I think that's a deep, deep talent at wide receiver. And Coach Shaw is going to take advantage of that this year. Defensively, Paulson Adebo, a lot of preseason notice, rightfully so. I think Thomas Booker could be a poise uh, for a big-time, maybe national breakout season as well. I, I, I like the other cornerbacks too. Outside of that, Maybe some question marks. How do you size up Stanford defensively right now? You know, I, I still rate all three units in my top units in the front of the magazine. Uh, the linebacking core, I've got only number 32, which is a little light for Stanford. They're normally higher. Uh, but as you mentioned, having a Debo back at a corner along with Blue Kelly, I think they're loaded there. You look at those linebackers, you know, Gabe Reed, Jordan Fox, there's two pretty good outside linebackers, Curtis Robinson, and then uh, uh, Ricky Miazan is another guy that can step in at inside linebacker. He was one of my uh, higher-rated uh, linebacker recruits coming out. And can Dalen Wade Perry ever live up to his potential? We're going to find that out this year. He's a junior. He needs a light bulb to go on because he can be a dominant defensive lineman if he just uh, gets out there and plays every play like he can. And he team him with Thomas Booker, they're pretty good up front. I'm used to Stanford having a good defense, Troy. I'm not used to seeing them allow 430 yards per game like they did last year. And I think we will see that improved defense this year. 
Yeah, ho hopefully so. And I think that really revolves around how things uh, develop uh, at the inside linebacker spot. Uh, if you had to pick one key player for Stanford this year, one key guy around whom the fortunes of this team revolve around, who would it be? Got to go with Davis Mills, quarterback. I mean, he's he's a guy that I think a lot is being dependent on, and hopefully it doesn't get down to three quarterbacks like it did last year. But I think if Davis Mills can stay healthy all year at six four two twelve, even if the run game doesn't get to the level you want, Davis Mills can exploit that, hitting those receivers. So I think Davis Mills is definitely the key to this team. Let's widen the shot here a little bit and start focusing on the conference for a moment or so here. Um, Pac-12, any dark horses you might potentially see looming off in the distance that might be able to, to, to make some big-time noise this year? Well, uh, and not necessarily a big-time dark horse, but I like Washington. I think Washington's going to surprise some folks. I know last year they took a step back, uh, dropping to 8-5, and 7-5 uh, and five in the regular season last year. Uh, and they lose their outstanding head coach and Chris Peterson. But Jimmy Lake steps into a pretty good situation in the fact that he's last year he only had two returning starters on defense, and yet they still played well. This year they've got eight returning starters, so they should have one of the better defenses in the league. And no one's really looking at Washington because they lost their quarterback, they lost their top running back, they lost their top two receivers, and they lost three of their offensive linemen. So the offense, you figure, is going to struggle. But I like Jacob Sermon at QB. I like the running back core with Newton, McGrew, and uh, Davis. The receivers look pretty solid. Tight end, Kate Odden's one of the best in the country. And then up front, uh, I told Coach Lake when we were going over the offensive line, I said, I've got my questions, and he said, well, I have my questions on this group. But you know what? After we got through going through the three deep, uh, both of us said we felt better about the unit. There's some big boys up front. They go about 320, uh, even in the second team and the third team. So there's a large unit that gets to work against that Washington defensive line every day in practice. I think their offensive line is going to surprise some folks, as is their quarterback. So you know, to me, it's hard to say Washington's a dark horse, but they are coming off a 7-5 and season and lose their quarterback, top running back, top two receivers three offensive linemen and their head coach, I think they could surprise. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Newton because I really loved what I saw from him. Just a monster at a running back spot and as a freshman last year uh, before he got hurt. Um, I, I may make a bunch of my listeners ill when I ask you this question, but I have to. <laughs> Is this the year for the California Golden Bears? Uh, I think Cal's going to be an approved team. Now, last year, Cal was that team when they had their quarterback healthy. Remember when Chase Garbers started and finished a game? Cal went 7-0. and So you got to like that, and Garbers is back and healthy. And they've got 18 returning starters this year. Christopher Brown, a running back, a veteran offensive line. The defense does lose Evan Weaver, but they've returned some pretty good players on the defensive side as well. So I think Cal's a very good team this year. I don't think they're going to win the Pac-12 North, though. So I don't think you're going to see Cal break through, even with the experienced team that they have coming back. I don't think they make that big step this year. But I do see them getting back to a bowl game. And, hey, they actually won the Axe last year for the first time. Yeah. Th thanks for the reminder. I, I appreciate yeah, sorry. that. Sorry. <laughs> of course, you know, the, the, the Pac-12 nationwide, its reputation has taken a bit of a hit over the past few years. And mostly is the, and most of it is because of the fact that it's been a bit of a struggle for the Pac-12 to place a team in the college football playoff and in that mix. Um, any teams you see that could potentially have CFP potential from the Pac-12 this year? Yeah, there are two teams that definitely stand out to me. Uh, talent-wise and experience-wise that have that opportunity. The Pac-12 favorite this year is definitely going to be Oregon, despite the fact they lose four offensive linemen and Justin Herbert at quarterback. But when you look at Oregon, this is not uh, 10 years ago's or five years ago's Oregon team, which was flash and dash and not great defense. This is a physical team. They are physical offensively. They are physical defensively. All three units rank in my top units defensively in the front of the magazine. Coach Cristobal will mold a solid offensive line, and he likes what he's got coming back uh, at quarterback this year in Tyler Shaw. So I think you're going to see Oregon be the preseason favorite. But the other team that stands there 
with Oregon talent-wise this year is USC. Mm-hmm. And I know USC, under Clay Helton, hasn't won as many games as folks thought they would. But I'm going to cut them some slack for last year. You go back to their first road game. And, and usually when a young quarterback makes a first road start, it's a struggle. They lost at BYU by three points under Slovis's first start. Then their next road game was at Washington. They had a third-string quarterback make his first road start. They lost to Notre Dame by three. So they probably were better than their 8-5 and five record. But this year, 17 returning starters. And much like Stanford, both of those teams were all banged up last year. I mean, Stanford was missing 26 guys at the end of the year. USC has hardly anybody that started all 13 games last year. There's almost like two players on the roster that started all 13 games. If they can stay healthy, they have the arguably the best talent in the Pac-12 this year. Keaton Slovis is back at quarterback. He's thrown to my number two set of receivers in the country. All the defense units are solid. Watch out for USC. And as I mentioned earlier, Troy, they don't have to play Alabama and Notre Dame, so that could have them a little bit healthier at the end of the year. Yeah, yeah, certainly that could be a big-time development for the Trojans. Well, there, there's nothing like the Phil Steele College Football Preview. All the, all the nuggets of information just cram-packed into every single page. Uh, you make the, 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 the type as small as you possibly can. Not too small, however, because you have your limits there. Um, you know, newsstands are hard to come by these days. Tell folks how they can get this year's Phil Steele College Football Preview. Yeah, and Troy, it's going to be different this year. We normally print about 200,000 magazines and send them out there. They're everywhere. Grocery stores, bookstores, everywhere, right? Not this year. I only printed 50,000. And I made an exclusive deal with Barnes & Noble and Books A Million. Those are the only two locations you get them. So if you're used to going out and picking up the Phil Steele magazine wherever, you can only get it at Barnes & Noble and Books A Million this year. Exclusive uh, dealers of the magazine. Or you can go online, go to philsteel.com, that's S-T-E-E-L-E.com. And when you go to philsteel.com and order the magazine, we ship it out priority mail, so it gets to you in one to three days. So philsteel.com, or if you're out and about and you have a Barnes & Noble or Books A Million nearby, those are the only two locations. And once again, limited quantity, so don't go waiting around until September to find one, or they may all be gone. (laughs) <laughs> well, I know this. Uh, checking my Twitter timeline, there are a lot of happy people who are uh, taking pictures of, of the fact that they've got their, uh, their <laughs> magazines already in the mail. Real quick, as we wrap this up, I, I think there's a non-zero chance that Stanford could have a big season this year. Uh, a big chance? Well, no, but I, I think there's still a possibility of it. What chances do you give of Stanford having a big potential Pac-12 contention type season in 2020? You know, a better-than-expected chance coming off of last year. And going over the team with Coach Shaw, he feels confident that they're going to contend in the Pac-12. Uh, so he, he he thinks that they can get back there this year. So that would have me thinking in the 20 25% range, which is higher than you would think for a team coming off a 4-8 and eight season playing in the same division as Oregon and Washington. Yeah, that, that, that sounds about right. That sounds about right to me. I'll, I'll certainly take that. Well, there are two things that, I, that, that come out of Cleveland that I absolutely love. One is the duck fat fries of the Greenhouse Tavern. Then they come to find out the Greenhouse Tavern closed down a couple months ago. I can't believe that. So that leaves me one great thing out of Cleveland. Phil Steele, get his college football preview. You will not be sorry. Phil, always appreciate the time. Always appreciate the knowledge. I, I, I hope we can get this thing kicked off safely and responsibly. Best of luck to you. Best of health to you and your staff. And uh, can't wait to chat with you again soon. Sounds great. Troy, I always enjoy talking football with you, my friend. We should do this more often. Phil, I agree 100%. You, man, you, you, you've got a standing invitation to the show whenever you want. Good stuff, as always, uh, from Phil Steele, and I certainly appreciate um, him taking out the time to, to, to break it down here with us. And, and, and look, I mean, <laughs> there, there are some there, – I've, I've called Stanford football spring games, spring football games for the Pac-12 network. The first spring football game I did for, for the Pac-12 uh, was Washington State three years ago. And I'm not going to lie, it was pretty nifty a few days after that game to – to, to log on to Twitter, which can be a, a dicey proposition sometimes these days, but, but logging on to Twitter and, and seeing in my notifications uh, a mention from Phil Steele, uh, a tweet from him saying, quote, just finished watching, watching Washington State spring game on Pac-12 Network. Solid player notes from Anthony Heron, 
who joined us on the TreeCast last week, Cameron Irwin, our uh, sideline reporter for that day, and at Troy Clarity. You have no idea how close I came to retiring from Twitter right then and there, going out on top. (laughs) I was over the moon with that one. Always uh, great to get uh, props uh, from the man himself. He also gave us uh, gave Evan Moore and uh, me uh, fantastic reviews for our work with the uh, Stanford football spring game uh, the following year on the Pac-12 Network. So uh, that was uh, certainly fun. And he obviously likes the talent for Stanford this year. I mean, look, he's got he's got 14 Stanford players uh, getting some love with his preseason All Pac-12 honors coming into this year, right? So he's 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 a big fan of the talent, big fan of David Shaw it seems and a big fan overall of of what this program is all about. And like me, he's not ruling out the chance of Stanford potentially having a big rebound season this year a non-zero chance in my book phil says maybe 20 25 okay all right i'll take that i will i will certainly take that and run with it so we'll see hopefully we see this fall when we're when we're supposed to i mean obviously we're already down to just the uh, conference only schedule uh from that standpoint but uh we'll see we'll see we'll, we'll I'm, I'm looking forward to finding out but uh, Phil Steele breaking it all down as only he can. You can follow him on Twitter at Phil Steele 042. And that is Steele with an E at Phil Steele 042. Thanks to him. Thanks to Simi Fajoko. And thanks to you for checking us out on the show. You've got thoughts. You've got reactions. I always welcome them. You know how we do. Hashtag TreeCast via Twitter. Hashtag TreeCast. And again, um, always welcome, you know, the, and I'm always, I'm certainly uh, thankful for the feedback that the show has received, but, but keep it going. Rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, no matter where you listen to the show from, be sure to rate and review it. If you love the show, tell the world. If you don't love the show, tell me about it. Let me know. I'd, I'd, I'd love to find a way to, to make this show feasible and happy for everyone. That's kind of the goal, right? So let folks know about it. Uh, always appreciate it when you rate and review the show. And of course, subscribe and download the show every single week. Our thanks again to our guests, Stanford wide receiver Simi Fajoko and Phil Steele of Phil Steele's College Football Preview. Don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. And just as dumb as the person who won't wear a mask when they're out and about in public. Mask it or casket. Yours or someone's you love. It's just that simple. Stay safe, stay healthy, be kind, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for being with us here on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe podcast network.